Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, all you rock and roll fiends. Welcome to another edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded in central London, just off Abbey Road. And this week, we're going to go back to the well for another UK band that was really important to me in Action Jackson growing up. And that's The Cult. Of course, Americans best know The Cult from Sonic Temple and the big hit Firewoman off of that record. But obviously, that was their fourth record. They came from somewhere before that. They had a history. And in 1985, they made their second album called Love. Now, they kind of came out of a couple different bands. Southern Death Cult for Ian, which eventually evolved into Death Cult. And then that became The Cult when he and Billy Duffy were together. And then Ian Asbury, Billy Duffy, and Jamie Stewart on bass formed a unit that recorded some incredible songs from 1984 to 1989 and their first four albums. Maybe had a little bit of a rotation at the drum spot, but those three were great. And Asbury and Duffy did all the writing, were kind of the driving force behind the cult. The Love album is a very atmospheric album. It kind of lays down some of the psychedelic and moody songs that the cult kind of became most known for. Now, in the late 80s, with the breakout of Firewoman and Sonic Temple, they were kind of billed as a hard rock band. And they did some tours with some very heavy bands like Guns N' Roses and Metallica, Aerosmith. But in the mid-80s, we weren't sure what to do with them. They were kind of billed as gothic rock. They were kind of new wave. They were kind of punk. But not really. They didn't seem to fit in into any one box. So they went and made their second album, first one being Dreamtime, which had some great songs on it. But this album, Love, is phenomenal. Just start to finish, has all sorts of amazing tracks. They all seem to fit together. And they made a lot of B-sides and remixes, really enough to make a whole second album. And we're going to touch on that in here as well. Now, as usual, if you have questions for us or want to make a suggestion on which albums or bands you want to hear us discuss, let us know. You can tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjacks72. And of course, you can check out all of our past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. But for now, Jackson and I are going to get together. For Jackson, this is really one of his favorite bands of all time. I always say the Stones, Led Zeppelin, and Rush occupy my top three. But I guarantee you that the cult are up there for him. Very special in the pantheon of rock, personally, for Action Jackson. So we're going to dive in to all of our experiences seeing the cult, hearing the cult, how we discovered love, and why it's so important to us. All right here on The Wolf. (laughs) 
Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. In high school, I kind of discovered the cult. I feel like around the same time you did because the Sonic Temple hit, boom, Firewoman hit, big video, amazing song. Ian's got that long, long black hair. They've got Matt Sorum on the drums in the video. I'm like, this is a big time rock band. And then, I don't know, I had a buddy Davis who was really into them. And he went back and found like the Manor Sessions and the the older stuff with like Love and Electric and, and some of those on there. But how did you, how did you really get into the cult and then find love? So, yeah. Pretty much the same way. I was just sitting around, and in 1989, I was I was looking for new. Give me something new. I want something new. Mm-hmm. Ah, I'm tired of listening to this because the problem was that the rock radio stations, like the classic rock ones, they uh-huh. really just played the same ones over and over and over again. And right. so you kind of got to the point, and then, you know, like you said, Sonic Temple hit, and I was like, whoa what is this? Mm-hmm. This could be interesting. So I went out and I got a copy of Sonic Temple and I listened to it 7,000 times. And then it was, hey, you know these guys have other records, right? No, I did not. Okay, let's go there. So yeah, then 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 down the rabbit hole. And then, you know, I think I got, I think pretty much Love and Electric at about the same time. Mm-hmm. And and then so I, so I pretty much worked it backwards. 
So I listened to Electric for a while, and then I got into Love. To me, this record was always there. And then I, you know, I got Dreamtime, and I mean, I've got everything they've pretty much ever done. But to me, this was their purest form. Mm. I think they started to go some different ways. There's a whole big rigmarole about what Electric turned out to be, what they wanted it to be. They, they recorded it twice, right. so that was a big. But to me, this was kind of the. I, I don't want to say the peak, but to me, this was them in their purest form. And I was kind of thinking about this uh, for the last couple days london in 1985 mm-hmm. must have been pretty yeah pretty cool place to be you know seeing shows there were a whole bunch of other records like this like i don't even know what you would call this thing it's not really it's not new wave it's not punk it's it's kind of its own thing yeah and once it's, again it's cool yeah once again you and i are kind of on the same page there because i was thinking about this and listening to it and it's kind of got some of that psychedelic stuff that kind of became one of their trademarks over the years. Obviously, Billy's guitar is a, a big part of it here, but I'm with you. I, I don't want to call it their apex because obviously they made a lot of great records since then and even some in the last 20 years that have been pretty good. But, but this is the one I always go back to and I've listened to it you know, hundreds of times, more than yeah. Electric and Sonic Temple at this point because it, it just has that this feel to it. And, and you're right, it doesn't necessarily fit in. It, it's not straight ahead rock. It's not punk. It's I looked at something calling classifying as gothic rock, which is okay. kind of an odd subgenre, and they would have been kind of with Susie and the Banshees near the start of, of whatever that really is. Um, I, it's kind of psychedelic along with being straight ahead rock. It's not proggy because they don't really change a lot of tempos, although they do have a lot of what I would call spiritual and ethereal lyrics mm-hmm. versus yeah. just hot rods and chicks. And that's actually, I get hot rods and chicks from a quote from Ian Asbury when he was on Rockline one night. He had this great quote. I guess the guy was asking about how his lyrics are more about you know, it's it's not just straight ahead, I love you, you love me kind of stuff. And and he was like, yeah, it's, it's about exploring the spiritual side and, and that kind of thing more than just singing about hot rods and chicks. And then he goes, not that there's anything wrong with hot rods and chicks, if you know what I'm saying out there, fellas. And my buddy, my buddy Davis loved that line. He recorded it and he, I think he put it on his yearbook page even because it's... <laughs> It's so deep in so many ways. But yeah, it's it, it's got an intelligence to it. It's got a kind of ethereal, sometimes unearthly thing about it, yet straight ahead rock and roll. And you didn't, it, it obviously wasn't techno. It wasn't because in the 84, 85 range there, you're seeing a lot of techno. Obviously, bands like Duran Duran are really hot still on the pop side of things. So it didn't necessarily fit in there. And I feel like even later, you didn't, until, for me, you didn't see them on MTV, really, until Firewoman came out. They had songs off Electric and Love, for which they made videos, and big hits. I mean, She Sells Sanctuary has kind of gone on to become a huge hit used in commercials and movies. And even though it may not have raced up the charts back in the day, it occupies a big space in pop culture, I feel like. Maybe more so over here. And Rain was the one that really kind of turned me on to, oh my God, this is really a special band. But even Revolution was a, was a bit of a hit for them. So it was an interesting time, and, and I don't think MTV quite knew what to do with them. I seen remember maybe seeing some cult on the alternative shows like 120 minutes which they would you know sometimes run on the weekends or whatever um, uh, yeah i think i think that was the problem is that they really didn't fit into a box and they did not it was like they were too they were too heavy for mtv like rotation wise you can sell duran duran because they're all that's a pop song mm-hmm. but this is like I don't know, especially here in the united states 
but yeah, it was it was one of those. It was like a box in the attic, and you find it, you open it up, you're like, oh, what is this? And then the cool part about it is, if you keep opening the boxes, there's more little boxes inside because they got a lot of mixes and, and extended versions, and those are really cool. Yeah, it's another thing about the cult that I always liked is that some bands, all you can really get is their albums, and that's fine. It's a good thing to be able to find all their stuff if you get into somebody and you want to hear everything they've done. They just release records and the B-sides are primarily from the records and that kind of thing. But the Cult had more B-sides. They had a lot of remixes. And I think remixes have become more popular over the years. seems like it's more of a European thing to have yeah. different dance club mix. Like you could take more of a rock song and try it in different kind of dance club mixes. Pop songs maybe in the U.S., but not so much on the rock side. And so it's always cool when there's other stuff out there. And when you put out 12-inch singles opposed to just the 7-inch singles, and you could put extra songs on there, there's more material. And Love has a whole other album worth of material and you couldn't always get it and there was always kind of these legends of the manor sessions and things that were you know different times where these things were recorded like you said they basically made an album called peace after this which they kind of scrapped for years and then i think they went and worked with rick rubin to eventually create electric is that right that is correct yes and there were there was some stuff that they used from that and there was some stuff that they reworked but yeah there's whole songs that that were finished ready to go that they just threw in the can so yeah you're right you get these uh, the the EPs and mm-hmm. the alternate takes, and the, back before the internet, you know, it was kind of like you found this little treasure. Like what? Oh yeah, a friend of mine he told me that they got this whole other thing that can't possibly be true. And then you kind of go and find, oh, I found this one, or I found the Japanese, you know, version or something like that. If you could, if you found, it was like you'd have to go to one of those really dumpy uh, record stores that were like in somebody's basement where they had just a zillion. There were a couple of those in New York that were just really like you thought you were going to get like hepatitis or something. <laughs> they were so disgusting, but they had these just, but just things that you'd never even seen before. Of course, now everything's on the internet, but back then it was cool. And yeah, it, it was like you, they just kept going there was there was a whole treasure trove of other stuff you could find yeah it's amazing and i remember davis and i found this box set of cds and each one kind of had three or four songs on it but yeah it was like all the eps and kind of compilating the b-sides and the single versions all the different stuff and it was rare and it came in this special little box that had room for the other three that you couldn't get with that box set but you could get one day it was it was it was like rare release and, and i was so impressed with him when i bought it when he bought it I'm like oh man that's some rare stuff now eventually they did put out like a five or six disc rare cult collection that was very limited to something like 15,000 copies. And then there was an even more limited edition that had maybe 5,000 copies that had some some more rare live stuff on it. And then uh, eventually later that year, I think it was 2000 or so, 2001 in there, they put out the best of rare cult. And I have that and it has songs that, you know, could have been maybe singles or at least could have shown up on a record somewhere. But I mean, for the most part, you can hear all of that stuff now. And it's it's great for collectors that you can find the B-sides, you can find all the stuff that was, it was originally supposed to be an album. You can get Peace now. Peace was originally released as part of rare cult, the box set. But they eventually released it with Electric All Is One. Of course, I have that. And of course, the Love Expanded Edition, the two CD set, is is one that I bought pretty quickly as soon as it was available. 
But there is an omnibus edition Jackson out there, the four CD set. And I was curious if you ever had the urge to pick that one up. Yeah, I, I think I need to do that. I do have the I do have the black box set that's got seven discs in there all together. And the last one is it's got some it's it's all just mixes mm. and it's it's pretty cool. I might have to get that omnibus one because that looks pretty cool too. I'm just a sucker for give it to me, I'll take it. Because uh that was the first time, I think this came out in 2000, this box set, and that was really where you could find peace. In, right. I don't, it, wasn't, it wasn't labeled as such, but you know, you had like Zap City was on there, and right. Love Trooper, and all of those deals, uh, Groove Co. So yeah, it was, it, it, I think I got it for a gift, actually, and uh, I was pretty, I, I wore this thing out. That's a but good then I was gift. Like, I don't want to listen to it too much because I don't want to mess with it. But yeah, it's it pretty cool. Yeah, it, there's just they they just had they've got a lot of stuff that they recorded, and I really wonder if there are other bands out there like this because that for whatever reason they just don't save this stuff, but for whatever reason they did, and it's cool. So thank you. Yeah, I think disc three on this deal might be peace because there there is some stuff that they used, and mm-hmm. but then they've got like Conquistador. That's a great song that never made it, that was on. It was on one of those, like, the Manor Sessions, I think. Mm-hmm. And I picked that up. I'm like, what is this? It's a cool song that I've never heard. Yeah. Could go on forever on this. I know. I know that's the thing. Because it's such a go-to, I know these songs inside and out. So I want to give each song its due. Uh, but, you know, give a, little, give a little love to the Expanded Edition because it does include some B-sides and a, a lot of remixes of stuff that we know, but they're stretching it out. I mean, they're making She Sells Sanctuary six, seven, eight minutes long. Everything but Assault on Sanctuary. I, I kind of dig it. Assault on Sanctuary, it, it feels like an assault. It's just, it's just, you're changing the song a little too much for my taste. I actually... Actually, I actually really like that because it's just so insane. It's just like somebody just, they just said go. And there's like a harpsichord at the beginning. Like, okay, cool. It's totally different. You're right. I mean, but yeah. for me, it's, it's it's like the DNA is just too different. You know, I understand you need to use some frog DNA to make a Tyrannosaurus Rex these days. Correct. But yes. it, it may be hopping around too much, I think, for me. So, all right. So let me ask you this. Do you like Here Comes the Rain, the 619 version, 6 minutes and 19 version? Absolutely love it. That. That rules because it starts. It's it, the intro. It's it's the same song. I think I think I, I know what you're getting at. You like more like the expanded. Like it's the same thing. We just kind of take it out a little bit, mm-hmm. and that starts in with the drums. And then they, they kind of they 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 give you the riff, and then they pull it back, mm-hmm. and then they give it to you again. Yeah, I love that. I wish that was the real version of the song. Honestly, I think I think the album track is not long enough i agree and when i first heard that after davis bought the set and we like listened to the extended version i was like oh man why did they keep this from me this is so good because like i said for me it was rain once i heard rain the first time i realized oh the cult really are uh, because you know hear firewoman great song great single cool video but what else have you got because because at that point in the late 80s, there were a lot of hard rock bands, guys with long hair, on MTV. And some of them weren't that cool. I'm looking at you, Warrant, and, you know, <laughs> other people like that. You know, so, they yes, in 85, they're kind of gothic rock. But by 89, it's more of a hard rock thing. And to tour 
on Firewoman and Sonic Temple, they played like with Metallica. And I think they may have played with Guns N' Roses too. And they, they played for Aerosmith, yeah. you know, in the past. Like that's a lot different from the kind of crowd you were kind of attracting on the Love record. There's a there's a great clip, and I think it's on Pure Cult. Uh, on the if you get the DVD version, and they're ta- they just kind of intro the videos and Billy Duffy is talking about rain and you know how we put it together, blah, blah, blah. We filmed it at this dodgy club and up and up, up, up. And, but whatever they do, don't let them put makeup on you, you man. <laughs> and then they smash cut to the video. And then, of course they've got their hair done and the makeup and everything. And I can imagine they were just standing there thinking, uh, mm, well, I guess it's supposed to be artistic. So let's do this. Right. Whatever gets me on TV, I guess. Correct. Yeah. Speaking Correct. of TV, too, apparently right before, because they were death cult before they were the cult, yes? Uh, well, Ian was in the death cult, and then okay. Billy was in the theater of hate, mm-hmm. and then they kind of came together. And then I heard that before they went on to do a, you know, to do a, a TV show in Britain, they were supposed to be death cult, still, maybe. Uh, and then they yeah. went on, they were going to do Spirit Walker or one of those, and Ian basically said, we are the cult first time they'd ever been the cult was uh that moment right on tv and then i guess they became the cult going forward and that makes sense death cult sounds like a heavy metal band right you're right and i take it back they were the death cult that's right ian was in the southern death cult right and then yeah and then they became then they got together and did that and then yeah i think i think i remember that it was one of those deals where it was like well this probably isn't gonna you're really not gonna sell a whole lot of albums with that name and you're gonna have people writing all kinds of letters to the record company and everything else yeah but you know this was the second album for ian and ian asbury and billy duffy have been the mainstays and head writers in the cult forever right correct it's just kind of the way it works all songs written by Ian Asbury and Billy Duffy. But they had been with Jamie Stewart since Dreamtime, um, and he was on their first four albums, Dreamtime, Love, Electric, not to mention Peace, and... Sonic Temple. And Sonic Temple. And then he left to kind of go have a more quiet life. He's like, okay... I don't think I'm getting along with Ian and Billy so much anymore. And I don't know if this is really for me. I mean, I think he continued to produce a little bit, maybe play in some bands, but eventually he got out of the music life. But I I feel like having that threesome through those first four albums together gave them a sound. And, you know, it, it takes a couple few albums to kind of figure that out. And to have this kind of big sound on your second album, make a third album and scrap it because it's not good enough, and then make a fourth, which is really your third in electric, it's it's interesting but it it didn't and they had some issues at drummer and i think that nigel preston did he die or did he just leave i think he just left okay and and you mentioned jamie stewart after he left they've never had a solid lineup after that like they've had it's just it's basically been asbury and duffy and then people come in and out on drums and guitar and apparently and and sometimes they'll have like live they'll have a second guitarist but yeah i I think you're right i think that was the band was really the three of them Mm -hmm. for the for the the main part of that and yeah you're right to put out a record like this after only just one really together and that wasn't even the same drummer for the whole thing it's pretty impressive i agree you know um and nigel preston did die he he died young okay in in 1992 he didn't leave the band because he died but he left you know not that long after sonic temple yeah no so he was on the first record he was with them in the beginning well you know there was somebody before him and then he was there and then eventually he left but he did die relatively young and some of the guys they've had over the years have been great eric singer was in the band for 
a cup of coffee or so in the 80s, in the late 80s, before they made Firewoman and Sonic Temple. Then they got Mickey Curry in there, who was on both Sonic Temple and the follow-up Ceremony. But in between there, they had Matt Sorum, who is awesome. Uh, He's most famous for being in Guns N' Roses, of course, took over for Steven Adler, and in Velvet Revolver, and I got to see him uh, once in Velvet Revolver. But then before Vicky Curry came back, a guy named James Kotak was in the band, and James Kotak went on to be in the Scorpions for two decades. Uh, Oh, okay. I knew that guy looked familiar, because I was looking at some stuff, I'm like, where have I seen that guy in before? Okay, yeah, he was in the Scorpions. Okay. And yeah, for for a long time. He was the longest tenured drummer, actually. Longer yeah. than Herman the German Rarebell, who's probably the most famous. But, you know, Kotak held the gig for a real long time. He's actually also from Louisville. A drummer who doesn't write, you know, it's it's a relatively easy piece of the machine to replace, I guess. That yeah. seems to be the one that gets changed out the most over the years, especially as a band gets up in age. But Matt Sorum can sing a little bit. And he had a couple of stints. I mean, he came back from 99 to the early part of, of 2000 and made that Beyond Good and Evil with him and you can hear his drums all over it yeah and that was actually the that was the first I think that's the only record he's really even on and yeah I saw them in 2000 uh, to, it was I think it was before the record came out it was like a pre-release deal cool. and yeah he was on drums and yeah that was a phenomenal show off the subject Jack Daniels just made a movie kind of a history movie like 90 minutes you know and it interviews people from work there over the years and obviously people from Lynchburg and stuff like that and it has a tie into rock and roll how you'll see pictures of Jimmy with the, with the Jack you know kickback and with Keith Richards over the years and what was cool was they got Shooter Jennings to create original music to be used in the film. Oh, cool. So they show Shooter out in L.A., and he's on the piano or whatever, and he's got a, a band together, and the drummer is none other than Matt Sorum. So he's making the music with Shooter and the guys, you know, but then he also gets to talk, because he's like, you know, when I joined Guns N' Roses, Slash would hand me a bottle of Jack, uh, and, you know, I'd take a sip for it, and he'd be like, screw the top back on, man, you're letting Jack out, you know? <laughs> 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 That's kind of cool. And and what was also cool was they asked him, you know, would rock and roll or Jack be the same without each other? And Shooter goes, look, Jack Daniels would be exactly the same without rock and roll. But rock and roll would not be the same without Jack Daniels. And I'm like, you know, that's pretty cool. That's that's pretty true, too. You know, Jack would survive. It would be made the same, obviously. It would taste the same. It would still be made the same place it always has for 160 years. But yeah, there's a... But rock and roll. There's a pretty, there's at least one pretty cool picture of Keith Richards, and he's, I think it's before the show, and he's kind of, you know, just warming up a little bit. And yeah, there's the, you know, the stacks are behind him, and there's bottles of Jack Daniels on top. I mean, yep. they're just getting ready for the show because you know you gotta have, you gotta have a little something to lube yourself up. I've got an amazing one out of fifty Jim Marshall print from the 1972 tour he's backstage oh, cool. and he's just holding a bottle of jack he doesn't have a glass he's got the bottle you, know? <laughs> you don't want to waste a whole bunch of time with that all right well let's let's go into let's get into the album a little bit and we can talk a little bit about seeing them live and, okay. and stuff like that nirvana starts off with nirvana love it great opener yeah. to an album i i this is one of those head scratcher twos because i love this song and i'm like this wasn't a single okay i'm good for you but i mean yeah it's 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 great it's a it's a great riff to it and it's just a cool song it's a real upbeat great way to start a record but no you're right 
count in on Nirvana, and it kind of sets the tone, you know. Yes, it's rocking, but it's kind of got this spaciness to it a little bit. It kind of breathes out a little bit further. I, I don't yeah. know. I just always liked it. Yeah, I did. I don't know why that. I don't know why they picked the singles that they did. I mean, obviously, Rain and She Sells Sanctuary are gigantic, but I always thought that could have been a single easily. Well, and the second one, to me, Big Neon Glitter. Again, it's it's kind of got a mood to it. It's it's and it's got a groove to it. I think Jamie does a good job on this one, sticking out a little bit. But yeah, and the way Billy interacts with him, maybe not a single, but I I think it's a fantastic song. I always look forward to hearing it right after Nirvana. And it's kind of cool too because it, it slows down a little bit, not not a ton, but it slows down enough where you're like, okay, you know, we're now we're upward, now we're cruising, and it's it's not if they gave you another fast one you might be like oh it's too much so th- it's a nice change of pace well and obviously she sells sanctuary is going to bring it up a, a notch there to me rain does that we'll get into that i guess in a second but those two back to back to start off the album are fantastic and then you get to the title track and you know yeah. what's up right and they must have loved it because they named the album after it correct uh, now, you know, the, the concept of love versus that song love could have been a driving force also. But, I mean, great cult song. And it's got, it kind of slows down a little bit in there, gives Ian a chance to belt it out a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, it's, it's also, that was also kind of strange to me that, that the, a lot of times the title track is another single off of there. This could have been a little on the slow side mm-hmm. um, for them, but yeah, another another good one. I mean, so far we're you know we're batting a thousand here. Yeah, although I'll tell you, you know how sometimes when you see or you watch a, a documentary and they start to mess around the studio and they take out different tracks, like this is the vocal by itself, and it sounds a little weird because it when you hear it with the guitar or maybe the rest of the sound it kind of amalgamates into something different but when you hear it stripped down like this is the vocal acapella it sounds a little odd I have a feeling especially at the end of that where he's going oh but if you strip that down it would because I can kind of hear it on its own I don't know it sounds a little odd it sounds a little strange even for Ian you have to try it you have to to try it yeah yeah, I, I will give that a try because you're right. It could be one of those things where they they kind of heard it and said, "Well, maybe we need to put a little bit, little something extra in there, or you know, produce it a little bit differently." Yeah, I, I will check that out. Yeah, and Billy's guitar at the end, he's he's going back and forth on those few chords um, that he's picking through. Sounds great. You know, I, I think it's more mm-hmm. of a Billy song than an Ian song. But um, number four, Brother Wolf and Sister Moon, really slowing it down now. As the Wolf, I have to love this one because. Uh, I just do. I, but I always liked it. Yeah, I always liked it too. It's it's definitely that this is completely not a single. This is an album track. I I was listening to this thinking like, you know, what was the what was the mindset here for this deal? I think this is Ian trying to channel his uh, Jim Morrison on this one. This is definitely like the uh, this, this is your Riders on the Storm, where you just sit there and you're like, "Oh man, this is, this is heavy duty." You know, we're talking about some deep themes here. But I, I mean, again, the uh, solo at the end of this from Billy is phenomenal. That's right. That's right. Billy really shines on this one. And you bring up Jim Morrison and the Doors. Ian was obviously influenced by them, and he Correct. was actually he was up at one point to play Jim Morrison in the Doors movie 
by Oliver Stone. And I think at the end of the day, Oliver wanted to go with a big movie star instead of a relatively unknown rock star. And with Val Kilmer, I think he made probably the right call for the movie. It would have been interesting to see. I would love to see if they had screen tests or something like that, if they ever went that far. But of course, he did then tour basically with The Doors or with Ray Manzarek and was... Was Krieger with them too? Yes, I believe so. They were the 21st Century Doors, the, I think. Do, yeah, Doors of the themselves. 21st Century or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. And so he did get to eventually have a gig basically with the Doors, and it's really, I think it's the only real Doors-type concerts they've had since Jim died, to the best of my knowledge. I think so, and and I've seen clips of it, and I mean, Jim Morrison was Jim Morrison. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to out Jim Morrison him but I think I think he did a great job I think he I think he understood what he needed to do and it sounded pretty good, but you know, I think it got bagged on because people were like, "Well, you're just trying to be Jim Morrison." Well, you know, I think he, I think it was more of a tribute than him trying to be Jim Morrison. Right. I mean, Jim, Jim's not around, and it's Jim's fault that Jim's not around. So, Correct. if you want to hear something that's like it, and you want to hear the band that was good behind him, it wasn't all Jim Morrison. Yes, he did the writing. Ray Manzarek was an amazing keyboard organ player, uh, and Krieger was a good guitar player, you know? You put them all together, and they were great. So, give him a chance, I say. But, you know, those things don't last forever, and he could go back to the cult, so he did. Now, song number five, Rain, which I'm guessing was the last side of side one of the cassette. Absolutely, absolutely my favorite cult song ever is Rain. Uh, It's the one that sucked me in. It's the one that it just it's bold and it's going to be fast and upbeat but it's not a heavy song and again it's it's kind of moody it's got a little bit of breath in it and i think it's just a killer riff and and it's not that hard to play if you're a budding guitar player you could learn the rain riff and and say hey that sounds pretty good you know um so i, I don't know this, this is will always be my favorite and i and i love this song because it's you can listen to it now and it doesn't sound dated like you, it's it, it's just a great track. There's a lot of stuff from the '80s that you're like, oh, that was a that was a time capsule of that thing. This is still like you could put this on today for somebody who'd never heard it and say, hey, that's a good song. I like that. That you know, who is this? What's going on with this? This is a good track. And you know, like we talked about before, the if you like this song, go check out the the Here Comes the Rain because that's just even more awesomeness. That's right. They they pull it out a little bit. They let it ring a little bit more. Yeah, it's it's killer. You know, I I listen to it every time I get the chance, and it's it's obviously the song's been featured in movies and TV shows and stuff like that over the years. It's not just us that like this song. Again, maybe it didn't run up the charts back in the day. 1985, this is a strange time for music. You know, and, and, and these guys are kind of tweeners, right? They're not hard rockers. They're not heavy metalers. They're not just new wave. That's not exactly who they were. No. You know? Yeah. And But they're harder than the Smiths, <clears throat> but they're different than R.E.M. You know, they're not the Misfits. You know, it's 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 hard to categorize. Guys. But see, yeah. but that's what makes them special. And I think that's part of why you and I like them is that they don't just fit into a category but thankfully they got put into the hard rock category so we could find them and find this stuff from back in the day (laughs) it's the old dichotomy right I don't want to just hear the singles I want to hear the whole album but I'm not going to listen to the album unless you've got some hit singles to get me interested (laughs) (laughs) and and you're right I think this, this one definitely had both if you get hooked in with the singles on this you are going to like I'm not going to promise you you're going to like the whole thing but you're going to like 90 
percent of this record. Yeah. So what do you think about the Phoenix starting off? What would be side B of the cassette? You know, what I think about it yeah. is, I think about this. This could be one of my favorite songs they've ever done, and because Billy Duffy reached his back and he goes from guns to missiles on this thing, he is in full face melter on this track. The guitar is super hot on this thing, and he's just wailing on it, just wailing on it. The first, and it's got that the intro where it's like the, he hits the chord and it rings. And then it builds, and then it goes into the thing, and then he's just wailing on the guitar. It's kind of got that fire, I'm on. Yeah, it's, it's pretty psychedelic, right? He's yeah, got some yeah. wah there, you know, and yeah. maybe a little a little whammy even sometimes. You know, definitely some wah on there. It's 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 more 60s sounding. And, and the 60s were still very out. At the end of the 80s, the 60s came back in a big way. Like, people were nostalgic about Woodstock and The Who and The Stones did big tours. Like, the 60s were back. But in the early to mid-80s, the 60s were still like ancient history. And then all that peace and love was over with. But this is, you're right, in face melter mode. Good way yeah. to put it, man. He is killing it on this. And, and I remember the first time I ever heard or I listened to this a couple of times through the album and you know, you know, you get the singles and everything. And I just, I just gravitated toward that because yeah, it's just, it's just fantastic. And it comes right after the big single in the, on the record. Well, is, is rain the big one or is sanctuary? To, to me, it was rain. I like that song. I mean, I love she sells sanctuary, but I, I really love rain and, and to come to, to be, have those two tracks back to back is pretty cool. I, I'm with you there too. Yeah, absolutely. And if you had the tape, you could listen to one, flip it, and then listen to the other. Yeah. Which definitely, I used to do stuff like that back in the day. <laughs> back and forth, back and forth. But I've really only ever had these on, on CD. And of course, we got the uh, the best of the cult, the love, you know, rockers, lovers, sinners, and everybody mm -hmm. else. That one when we were in college, and we played that until it was broken, basically. Correct. Although I still have it. It's in good shape. I've kept it in good shape. And it came with the... Uh, the second disc that had half of their live album from... Oh, uh, yes, yeah. It was like the Marquee, maybe. I think it was live at the Marquee, and you got half of it. And then, you know, I'd been on the search for the other half for years. Okay, but then in the Hollow Man, which is still kind of upbeat, but again, kind of has that classic cold sound. I, you know, another one, There's this is not... I mean, seriously, no strikeouts yet. They're doing great no. here, man. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's another one of those. It's kind of, it's on the B side. You'd think it's kind of a throwaway track, but it's really not. It's got a. It, you can listen to that on its own. It's got a. It's got a pretty cool riff at the beginning of it. it kind of makes you think, oh man, the Hollow Man. He's following me everywhere, man. This is deep. Yeah, I did another. Like you said, no, all all pretty solid stuff so far. That's right. And then the eighth song is Revolution, which was a single. Mm -hmm. Did did make it on that greatest hits and, and pure cold. A little a little more slowed down, especially for a song called Revolution. If you just read it and you say, Oh man, this is gonna be, you know, an upbeat fight song. No, it's it's more of a real chill song with a little background singing in it. Yeah. This I think this is the only one that's got backing tracks, uh, from vocal backing tracks anyway. And yeah, this is more of your again, this is more of your sixties peace and love, hippie mm -hmm. dippy deal. Uh it slows down. I like the track. It, probably my least favorite out of oh, all the singles that came off of this, but still a pretty good track. Yeah, I, I think you're right on both scores there, right? Not not my favorite of the singles, but, you know, not a bad single. And see, because, you know, the fact of the matter is Rain had a cool B-side called Little Face, and then obviously the extended Here Comes the Rain mix. 
on the 12 inch, right? And She Sells Sanctuary came with two as well. The song number 13 on the 7 inch, and then you get 13 and The Snake on the 12 inch. And then obviously there's a ton, <laughs> there's like a dozen different She Sells Sanctuary remixes from over the years. It's had a lot of different incarnations. All Souls Avenue was was the B-side. And then, you know, they had a they had a remix for that too. So All Souls <laughs> Avenue was the B-side to it. And then All Souls Avenue on the uh on the 12 inch. So again, it's kind of cool you have different singles, both both a 45 and a 33 and a third, and you get extra songs. I think it's I think it's cool that they do that. They do it more in Europe, I feel like, than they do in the United States. Again, it just kind of adds to the lore of all the different stuff that you can find from a band over the years if you're willing to go out there and dig around and find it. And especially something like that, because it's not just a it's just it's not just a remix. It's an entirely new song you've never heard before. What are you talking about? They, they, or it's not a live track or something like that. That is pretty cool. I like when they they kind of give you a little peek behind the curtain. That yeah, there's you got some other stuff here. You know, it's in the back room, but you can't see it right now. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Most bands don't just make ten or twelve songs, and that's the album. Besides, usually there's something like twenty or more concepts that eventually they take the best ones and they cobble together to make an album and then they take some for B-sides and then some maybe they work on later or they just kind of stick them away. But if you've got an album that's so strong front to back, then I want to know what were the throwaways? You know, like Oasis threw away Acquiesce as a B-side for What's the Story, Morning Glory. To me, that's like a mistake. You know, it's like it's a huge single, it's a huge hit in its own right. You didn't even put it on the darn album. Now, sometimes that happens with weird songs. We talked about how Beth was the B-side of Detroit Rock City. And sometimes you make a throwaway and you you think, all right, well, well you know, they're not going to like this. And then it is the big one. But I want to know what the other ones are. Because when you get to number 13 and The Snake and Little Face and Judith and Sunrise and All Souls Avenue, not just remixes of the songs, but new original stuff, this is great stuff. I mean, they have a, an album of half of new stuff, and then you throw in all the remixes at the time, you've got a couple albums or more. Yeah, and we could talk to these guys all day long. I would like to know, you know, of the, you had 10 tracks on the record in 1985 what made you what made you pick those 10 and what made you punt these other ones obviously you like them enough to actually record them and then and then include them on the expanded editions later on right but what what was it about that that you said man this this just isn't gonna work i agree because and you know sometimes something just doesn't sound like it fits at the time you know something like sunrise or or judith even it sounds like it fits the time really well to me it it, it fits Mm -hmm. the rest of the song so yeah, I wonder why, you know, what some go on and some don't. But obviously, number nine, She Sells Sanctuary, huge hit for them. And one that really endures, and I think especially in Europe. But like I said, they've, they've done probably over a dozen different remixes over the years. I like the Howling mix because it's got the wolf at that the front good. of it. Was that in one of the Howling movies, one of the Howling horror pictures? It may have been. I, I, I remember when I first came to England when I studied here in 1994, and then we went to Ireland as a family to kind of tour. And I remember being in a bed and breakfast or a hotel or something, and the, the TV was on, and like a sports drink commercial came on that had She Sells Sanctuary as their thing. I think it was just a European thing. Maybe it was Gatorade. I don't know. But it was, yeah, it was like a a sports drink thing. I'm like, this is kind of a bigger deal over here than it is back home. And I love it. You know, I love being able to hear this instead of some country song, you know. 
uh, selling me a, a Chevy truck or something. This is, you know, this is actually kind of cool. But yeah, huge song, been in lots and lots of movies and things over the years. And it hit the charts all over the world. I mean, it was a huge hit in Canada. New Zealand and Australia, it did okay. Did maybe did not so well in in America, but did fine in in the UK and other parts of Europe. So I, I think it's held in high esteem. It eventually went gold. I mean, I think it took decades, but they got a gold record award for singles in the UK. Pretty big hit for them. Yeah, and I think that was probably. I mean, if you go back and take out the sonic temple stuff this this is probably the biggest record they had up until that point the one that the one that most people identify with the band was this one i think so you know and an electric was good but like you said they they had a couple different reworks of it there was peace it went away then they did electric they were still kind of searching for where they were i mean i remember seeing advertisements for electric in like skateboard magazines again kind of where do we put them are they gothic are they punk are they new way i'm not sure yet and Maybe they're not sure yet. And if you look at the artwork on Electric with the kind of the lettering and the kind of gothic lettering and almost looks like knives to spell out the cult Electric within their faces behind it like that versus Love, which is, I won't say it's basic, but it has these symbols on it and it's it's black and white and red. And it's trying to take them in a different direction from this, I think, stylistically. Yeah. Yeah, that was more, the, the Electric was going to be more of a hard rock record. But again, not hard rocky enough to be a huge hit in the United States. But that's opinion. Right, I hear you. I'm I think you. they should have played it on MTV every second, but that's just me. That's just me. You missed out. So you wind up the record with Black Angel. And I love this song, Jackson. And I've had it in my head for decades now. They should let me direct a video for this song because I've got the story. It's this outlaw coming back on the dark horse with the black hat over his eyes coming back. But every once in a while, the Reaper pops up, whether he's on a horse kind of next to him or he's on top of the house as he strides, he's coming back to the town after all these years. He's coming back to hang, basically. And everybody's waiting for him. There's guns drawn on him. And every once in a while, there's the Reaper. There's the Black Angel. I can see it clearly. they got to give me the chance to do it. Now, that's interesting because I've had kind of the same fantasy. But to me, did you have you ever seen The Seventh Seal? It's, a, it's about a guy. It's a it's it's whatever Max von Saito is, mm-hmm. Swedish or something. It's a Swedish movie. And it, it's a guy. It's a, it's a knight coming back from the... Crusades, I believe, and he shows up, and the Reaper is there to meet him, and he's like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> so he makes this deal with him. He's like, "Whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait! You play chess, right?" And he says, "Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty good at playing chess. I'll tell you what, I play chess with you. I beat you. I go free. You win. I go with you." And so the whole movie is like, is he? It's a little bit, and then he goes away, and he, and the night goes a little farther. And then he thinks like, oh, maybe I, maybe, maybe he kind of forgot about me. And then he shows up again. He's like, time to play again. And this is always, so the deal is that he's always, he's with them the whole time. And that's, mm-hmm. this, this always made me think of this. It's just, he goes on for a little more and he learns a little bit more. And then the guy, he plays again, but he's always got, you know, the Reaper by his side mm-hmm. on this deal. And so, yeah, I've had incarnations of, yes, filming a video for this song based kind of on that so yeah that would be we need to do something and see how we what we come up with but you know just a great way to wrap up an album that is i don't know it's got great continuity the songs kind of flow together well you know there's rises and falls as far as the mood goes 
yet they all seem to fit together very well. And the songs like Number 13 and The Snake and Little Face and Judith and Sunrise and All Souls Avenue are all good. They all could have made it on the album or, you know, been reworked to the point where maybe they could have, you know, the, the uh, eight-minute snake and it is a little repetitive. But you chop that down into four minutes that could be an album track easily. Yeah, and no, I think it's kind of cool because th- this is kind of all the rage now with reissuing C- uh, albums. Because mm-hmm. you know, if you're gonna buy it again, they got to give you something extra. So they'll put a eh, they'll put a live track or they'll clean it up a little bit. This is, I mean, this is an entire another album you get with this deal. So it is, it is really cool to see to have something like this with so much extra content. You could, I mean, you could buy it all over again and not be, be upset with it. Right, and, and I did. And the Omnibus Edition now on Disc 3 is basically those first two that we just kind of gone through a little bit. Disc 3 are like the demos. And the, there's an instrumental called Waltz, which I'm not familiar with. But, you know, a lot of time demos are just, it's unfinished versions of the song or they're bad versions of the song. Sometimes it's cool to see how they progress. But really, a lot of times it's just like, this is when we got to the point where we knew we could finish it, you know? And then they did finish it and it's better to me. Yeah, I heard an interview with, I think it was Elton John, and they were talking about demos. And basically he said, John said that the demo is like a, is like a artist when they do a sketch. They're mm-hmm. kind of just just trying to find the you know kind of find the it, the, the space here and the, and yeah, yeah yeah and how and how we do that so yeah it is kind of cool to say oh so you started with this and it ended up like that ah cool or you chunk this part what I really love is when you find something like oh hey wait a minute this didn't work for song A but this became song something else you you reworked it and you used this other thing so yeah I I love demos especially from these guys yeah and then obviously you know good live stuff uh, for is live at Hammersmith uh, Odeon uh, which I've been to and track list Love Nirvana Christian's Hollow Man Big Neon Glitter Brother Wolf Rain Dreamtime Sanctuary Go West Spirit Walker Horse Nation and they close with the Phoenix man they're burning your face off like oh you want one more okay here it is to send you off you asked for it I'm going to napalm you right now. I'm going to have to get that because that actually looks really cool, uh, especially the live stuff. So um, hopefully we see something else from them. It seemed like they might be working on a new album before all this COVID crisis started. So maybe that'll be a 2021 or 2022 treat for us. That would be fantastic because... You know, as soon as they put it out, I'm going to get it. So, I mean, I went out and bought, what was the next one? Ceremony mm-hmm. after, I think I bought that the day it came out. Right. Because I'm like, I don't care. I want it. And that was a departure. But again, if it's new and it's from them, I'll take it. Yeah, and that one wasn't bad. But I felt like the next one, the Black Sheep album, just titled The Cult, that didn't that didn't jive with me. Well, you got to figure that by that point in time the wheels were pretty much coming off the bus. There was not, I mean, I think everybody was just sick of each other and there were some substance abuse problems at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing was too, was I think they were kind of lost really at that point. Like they really didn't know what they wanted to do anymore. And, and yeah, I think they, they just needed a break. And unfortunately very famous story about how <laughs> we got the but end of the breakup. They announced that they were not going to do the show the night we were going. And oh, by the way, the band's broken up and we're done. 
So yeah, let's revisit that story, folks. We're in right. we're in Orlando, Greater Orlando. We get tickets to see the cult. It would have been the first time either of us had seen the cult at that right. point. And we're driving the show. And we usually had a pre-show ritual where we would go to a restaurant, usually something horrible like Hooters or upscale like Chili's or something like that, <laughs> eat a bunch of junk food, drink a bunch of beers, and then we go to the show. And so we're out in my car, and we're listening to the radio, and the cult comes on. We're like, oh, yeah, cool. So we're jamming while, like, yeah, getting ready for the show. This is awesome. They're getting us psyched up. And then the DJ comes on the radio. Yes, that is, of course, She Sells Sanctuary by the Cult. Of course, that show has been canceled. And we're like, what? So we derailed. We went down to the club where they were supposed to be playing. We had our tickets in hand, of course. And we're like, hey, man, what happened? He's like, oh, I don't know. Uh... Uh, you know, they, they can't do the show tonight. Sorry, guys. But we've still got, you know, $3 wells. They're, they're trying to sell us on coming in there or whatever. I'm like, no, man, give me my 28 bucks back or whatever it was for the tickets because I only use that to go get hammered someplace else. And if I recall correctly, we went on a bit of a bender after that. That was, uh, was not... We took out our frustrations on our livers that uh, evening. Yeah, and it was it was something like like oh somebody's not feeling well or something like that, and that's why they canceled the show. So I was thinking maybe maybe okay that was a little little glitch. Get everybody together, and then they'll come back and play. And then like two days later, they're like no, you know somebody's in rehab. Yeah, they're they're rehab. done. Yeah. yeah, and and yeah, that I can't. I think we ended up where we end up. We might have ended up at Jamie Lane's Sunset Strip. I yeah. believe a club in. Orlando and yes, just very unkind to ourselves. Worse for wear, just oh, so <laughs> bad. Now, eventually, now, I did see them a couple of times. You did too, did you? Correct. Yes, I saw them. I the first time I saw them, it was really weird because this was probably 1998 or 99, and there was a guy on the radio in Connecticut, but he you could email him. You could email him with any questions that you wanted, you know. So I was like, okay, you know what? Fine, we're gonna test this joker out. What about the cult? Question mark. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, it's strange that you asked. He got right back to me. They're playing a club show in New York City at the Roseland Ballroom, and I was like, are you kidding me? So I went there and saw them at the Roseland, which is a dump. I don't even know if it's still there anymore, but it's a small place. And basically it was a, they, they called it the cult rising. Mm-hmm. And I think it was like, they had gotten back together and they're like, okay, does anybody really even care? Let's do a, let's do a couple of club shows and see what's up. It, if, if memory serves me correct, it was pretty much the set from Sonic Temple. They okay. didn't do anything from Ceremony. They didn't do anything off that 95 album. And it was it was fantastic. Well, that's uh, cool. Yeah, that was, and it, yeah, that was 99 because they had not put out Beyond Good and Evil yet. And like I said, I think they were just putting a toe back in the water to see. And I think, they, I think that club tour did really well. And then they were like, okay, obviously people still are still interested. Yeah, so then we can go ahead and do the record. That, that's cool. I saw them on the Born Into This tour in Cincinnati at a club. And, and they were pretty good. You know, and, and Billy looked great and, and Ian was, was doing his thing and it was cool to see them. I don't love that record. It's got a couple of redeeming qualities on it. I, I don't like the cover at all. I think it's very uncult. But then they did Choice of Weapon, which I did like. I thought that was the best I'd heard since Sonic Temple, to be honest with you. I thought this was pretty good. And then, you know, we missed, they actually did a tour, Gary, in I think it was 2009-10 area where they performed Love in its entirety. And that I would have loved 
to have yeah. seen, no doubt yeah. about it. Missed out on that. But after Choice of Weapon, they did do Electric in its entirety. And I took some boys up to Cincinnati, same exact place. Only this time we took a limo with the craziest old man limo driver you ever saw, man. I mean, it was like snowing and icy, and he's driving us up there like 85 <laughs> miles an hour. Because we were we fronted him some cash from what he would be paid that night. He was going to take it right to the casino, right? Nice. Um, like as soon as he dropped us up, he was going to go give all that away. Had his oxygen tank up front, so we felt bad about smoking in the back. Uh, but we we did it anyway. Yeah, the only, the only other time I saw them was in 2000 or two, maybe it was 2001. It was when Beyond Good and Evil came out. Mm-hmm. And it was a it was a surprise. I didn't even know I was doing this. It was at a South by Southwest party at Stubbs in Austin, and that was pretty sweet. It was it was not a big place. It was uh, Matt Sorum was there behind the drums. Cool. Um, they did have it. They did have the. There's a guy. I don't know what his name is, but he he's there a lot. He's not really part of the band, but he's like their second guitar player. Mm-hmm. Was there for that, and it was that was a great show. I did yeah. see them. It was. Was that the last? The Colt maybe. I think the Colt is the last live show that I've seen in my life before lockdown happened, basically. Wow. Yeah, it was the Colt. I saw them at the Eventum Apollo, which is better known as the Hammersmith Odeon. And they were doing they were doing Sonic Temple, which was pretty awesome. So I and but Ian was in a bit of a mood that night. He was he was a little perturbed and he's like, listen, if you all don't yell, we we don't know how we're doing, so we, we've got to try to get some feedback. We don't know what's up, so... And then he would come out after another song, and go, Energy! Like, it's your <laughs> fault that I'm not rocking hard enough, or that I'm too old, or not hitting the, the notes that I so should. Was the uh, was the crowd subdued, or...? I, subdued? No. They weren't the most rambunctious crowd, but then, you know, when I was 46 at the time, I was probably median age, you know, of the crowd there. Okay. There were older people there. Yeah, there's some younger people who were just getting into the cult, but I feel like most people were around our age group going five or eight years in either direction was the majority, and that's what they ought to expect, right? I mean, if you're popular from 85 to 95 or whatever, you're not going to have a lot of young kids. You're going to have older people like us and and, and mm-hmm. older than us, too, right? Yeah, because if you figure, if you were a big fan in 85, but you were, you know, 20 at that point in time, now you're, you're really pushing it up there in 20, what was that, 19? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you're not going to have 18-year-olds there. They obviously hold a special place in our hearts always will because of the time we discovered them and and their sound i think their sound is unique part of the reason you can't put them into any one spot is because they don't really sound like anyone else i've ever found and maybe not everything they've done has been my favorite but as long as they've still got those first four especially this one love at any day basically 365 days a year i might put love on and i have I, I would say the same thing, and I, and I always thought that I thought that they were always underrated, and, and maybe that's the reason that I do love them because they're not easily definable. And I always thought Billy was a very underrated rock guitarist. That not super flashy all the time, but big chunky riffs. And Asbury's got a great voice, great rock and roll voice, great rock and roll vibe too. Like you know, like he is a rock star. 
are mm-hmm. like through, you know rock star treatment rock star attitude everything yeah i i it's still this this record still holds up very well today <laughs> That's our take on the Colts' love, the 1985 underrated classic that really helped them break out onto the independent scene, maybe set the stage for them to do bigger things later in the 80s with Sonic Temple and Firewoman. But just an amazing album, and I think one that doesn't get its due, especially in America. So for those of you who are familiar with Firewoman and Sonic Temple and think that's the beginning and end of the cult, I highly suggest you go out and get it and get the deluxe version where you can hear all those B-sides and great remixes as well. Hey, as usual, folks, do we get something right? Do we get something wrong? Do we miss the point? Tell us. You gotta let us know. Reach out to us on Twitter at ugly underscore werewolf and be sure to check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Until next time, folks, all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.